You're listening to Locked On Cavaliers, your daily look at the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Cavaliers podcast, your daily look at the Cleveland Cavaliers from the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily local sports podcast network. I am Chris Manning, your host and the site manager from FearTheSword.com, SB Nation's Cleveland Cavaliers blog. If you aren't already, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. A five-star review is the best way to support the show. And you can find the show on Twitter and Facebook at Lockdown Cavs. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook as well at CWM Rights. And if you're looking for a great Browns podcast, can't recommend Lockdown Browns enough either. On today's show, we're going to go into the Cavs' loss to the Hornets from Wednesday night. On the second night of a back-to-back, a night after Larry Nance Jr.'s game-winning tip-in, the Cavs lost 110 to 99 and fall to 8 and 24 on the season. That is, has them, as I record this, in third place for the lottery. And for this week's Tactics Thursday, there is no Mike Zavgano, but uh, I will be talking about the piece I wrote it for the sword that is up right now, covering the Cavaliers and Larry Nance Jr.'s passing and why that matters to the team. So we will start with uh, the game, and to look at the good from the loss to the Hornets first, Larry Nance Jr. is at the center of that. So with Tristan Thompson down, with Kevin Love obviously still out since the near the beginning of the season, he's continued to do it all. His stat line in wasn't necessarily as good as it was against the Pacers, but and he didn't have the game winner. But 34 minutes for Nance, the only positive plus minus on the team, 10 points, 7 assists, 2 steals, 1 block, 15 rebounds, 3 on the offensive glass. Didn't take a 3, but that's fine. Overall, just another game where he was really contributing only positive things. And he's really, I think, taken on a lot while Tristan, in particular, has been out. The Cavs are running a lot through him. We're going to talk about this later when I talk about his passing, but you're seeing the Cavs do a lot of screening with him where he's either just passing or doing a dribble handoff with a guard to create an open look they're doing a lot of stuff that utilizes things he's good at to actually kind of lead into the offense and it's, it's allowed him to i think grow as a player a little bit what you what you also would see i think in this game is anecdotally and i'm not there to ask them this but he got in foul trouble in the first half and for me one of the turning points in this game was when he has to check out in the second quarter i believe and is in foul trouble it kind of killed the rhythm of the Cavs. I thought they were really feeding off of what he was doing on the court. And when he goes out and Zizic comes in, and Zizic actually played well in this game, it's just a little bit different. There wasn't that same energy. They lost someone who was really doing a good job on the glass. He's so important to this team right now. Um, They've really needed and asked a lot of him since Tristan went out, and this is just another example of him being someone that actually is stepping up right now. So shout out to Jaron Blossom game as well. Uh, so maybe the Cavs have a find here. He is obviously a two-way player. He is someone I don't know if he's going to be in the NBA in like two seasons. But right now, the guy's playing really, really well. 23 minutes, 6 of 8 from the field, three three-pointers on four attempts. Only had the one board, but two assists. Plays good defense. Uh, it works hard. is in the right spot. Comes off the bench and is making uh, a really a name for himself and, and making an impact on 
the team when they really need him to. Um, he's a guy that the Cavs are basically using to burn through minutes because they need someone to play, and he's really doing a good job of taking the most of it. Uh, this is a career high in points for him. He, I think, really earned the right to be in the four, on the quarter for part of that fourth quarter. And it's just he's a fun story. They're again, they're asking a lot of him. They're kind of just asking him to eat minutes right now. But you shout out to him for playing uh, the best game of his very young NBA career, and and not really being he's not coming in hurting them actively. He's in this game. He actually came in and helped them. And um, the what I've seen from him, albeit very limited, I do like. So Jetty Osmond had a good game in this one as well. Twenty-eight minutes for him, six of ten from the field, one of three from three, two boards and two assists isn't great for him. But I think in this game you saw a role for him that does make more sense. Now, defensively, he had some good moments as well, and I think those are worth noting because he did a good job handling some drives from bigger wings like Nick Batum. But what stood out to me for Jetty in this game was he was slashing. Now, the other night after the Sixers game, I asked Larry Drew about what the ideal role for Jetty should be. What should he be doing? And it's as a, he, he said he's a slasher, without hesitating. He, he's not a shooter. Now, we've seen a lot this season of Jetty being put into situations where he has to kind of create something out of nothing. He has to uh, create his own shot. These are not things he's good at. What he's good at is slashing, doing some basic creation for others and himself, and, and leading fast breaks. Those are sort of his main offensive tenets. He's not a good catch-and-shoot guy. He's not a guy like... Jordan Clarkson that can create his own shot and at least get a decent look in a matter of seconds. That's not something that is his strength. And when he does that, you're just setting him up for failure. But when you get him moving, you get him kind of moving off ball, you get him uh, driving in ways that are towards the rim and not just mid-range jump shots where he's actually actively getting to the rim and being asked to do that. He's a lot better player. He's a much more effective player. His shooting is still in the toilet this season. He still, I think, got some ways to go to kind of figure out his offensive game. But a game like this, where you if we go back and look at the film and just look at how much more he was driving, look at how much more he was in motion and, and using his longer frame to get looks near the rim instead of taking jump shots and three-pointers, he's much more effective. And more of this going forward for Jetty would be a really good thing. The Cavs in this game also did get life from Ante Zizic and Rodney Hood. Zizic comes off the bench, 16 minutes, 3-4 from the field, has four boards, two blocks, had a really nice block as well where he um, did a, came from behind and swatted a, a shot away, which was a good thing for him. He also did a couple a good job on a couple occasions when he got switched onto wings, doing a, a decent enough job of moving his feet and defending drives from quicker players. That's progress for him. His shot actually looked good. He, he had in that nice Zizic touch around the rim. For a player that has not done a, a good job this season of really making a case of why he should be playing more, and admittedly that's a hard thing to do considering how many bigs the Cavs have, but even among all the injuries, he just hasn't done it. This is a game where you liked what you saw from Zizic. Um, you liked the touch, you liked the feel, you saw some of the positive aspects of his game. Um, clearly he has some strength issues that I think kind of were also in this game, and his athleticism is something I, I worry about in terms of his, his ability to be an NBA player in a real way, but the touch is there, the feel for the game is there, and you saw a guy that actually seemed a little more comfortable in this game for whatever reason. And Rodney Hood continues to play more aggressively. I like the last couple games we've seen him not just take these mid-range shots. He's still taking a lot of mid-range shots, but he's taking more threes. He's not dribbling the, the shot clock away either. He's being a little more assertive. That's a good thing for Rodney Hood. When he's playing more assertive and playing more confidently, 
it's a different player. Um, still got to iron out some some things in the rim and kind of I think a shot selection could be even more modern. But five of eleven for him is a good night. And let's see if he can get a little more creation, a little more passing would be good for Hood. But um, if he's gonna be five of eleven and be more aggressive, that's that's at least progress from where he was. And the last thing I do like Larry Drew's ejection. He gets ejected in the fourth quarter of this game. Colin Sexton got fouled. They didn't call it. Drew was irate. I think understandably gets ejected. I like that he stuck up for his guys. It's one of the the qualities of him as a coach I really like. That the locker room seems to trust him, have his back. When he does stuff like that, that's part of the reason why. So that's going to be it for the positive of Cass Hornets. Take a quick break, and then we're going to be back to talk about the negatives from uh, Wednesday's Cavs-Hornets game. So stay tuned for more Locked on Cavaliers. And we're back talking about Cavs-Hornets. Again, they lose 110-99 to on Wednesday night in Charlotte. So the bad. Uh, Colin Sexton is the big one in this game. Now, I thought they were positive Colin Sexton things in this game. Three rebounds from him is good. Three assists and one steal against only two turnovers is is all right for Sexton. Uh, that assist turnover ratio still wasn't great, but the big thing to me that stood out in this game as a negative was how Kemba Walker came out and torched him um, in the third quarter. He is a rookie point guard. Rookie point guards are inherently going to struggle. Rookie point guards on defense are going to be lost in particular. But what was most troubling about him in this one was just how he the same thing happened over and over again, and and. I don't, I don't know because I'm not wasn't in Charlotte and didn't get to ask, and I don't know if they give an honest answer about this anyway. If we're being frank, but in this game, he in the, specifically in the third quarter, he was going under screens, and the, what the Hornets were doing was running basically kind of a basic pick and roll action. So Cody Zeller, for instance, would come up, set a screen on Sexton's left most often, and Walker would read it and make a play. He was getting to the rim, he was drawing fouls, he was launching threes. Over and over again, Sexton was just going under or getting in a couple inches, just kind of not really doing anything. And Zeller's a good screen setter, so he deserves credit here too. This isn't 100% Sexton is is trash, right? But Walker just lit him up over and over and over and over again in in very similar ways where Sexton wasn't adapting. And again, I do not know why he was going under screens. The, you go under screens against point guards, sort of like Colin Sexton, guys that you want to dare you to beat you with the threes, um, guys that you you don't you don't you think their outside shot is something not to really be feared, so you want to have a better chance of of cutting them off going to the rim. With Kemba, he's got range that isn't necessarily you know it isn't Steph Curry level range, but he's got a deep range. He's comfortable taking these long threes. And he can he can stroke them, and when he gets hot and he gets rolling like he did in this quarter, he can be a absolute game changer for the Charlotte offense. He comes into this game obviously struggling. Um, he's had a, a long stretch of not playing all that well. Didn't really even play well in the first half. Missed missed a bunch of his first shots in this game, and then he goes off. And there's just no real oh, I think awareness on Sexton's part to how to defend Walker. And then on the flip side of this, Colin has this habit of when things are going negatively and he's sort of directly impacted on this this goes back to the the first meeting with Trey Young where Trey Young lit him up Colin likes to try to make it all up in bunches by himself he likes to do things on his own he likes to do things in a way that he takes on the burden there's something commendable about that there right there's something sort of 
endearing about Colin wanting to just be the the savior and to just take care of this stuff himself and to be the hero and to, to put the team on his back. I, I like that. I think that is a cool personality. But you see in this game where he gets ahead of himself because I feel like every time he gets in a situation like this, he does something that is a, a, just a bit rash, a bit shows you that he's young and still kind of needs to slow down. The, after Walker, three of the possessions were after Walker just lit him up in this third quarter, takes a rush mid-range shot. He took another missed rush mid-range shot, and then he had a travel. These are avoidable plays. The Cavs as a whole in this game, and we're going to talk about this, did not do a good job of staying with the, the, the ball movement and the motion and the effort you saw early in this game when they were leading by as many as 13 points. Sexton is part of this in the second half. He's not the, the lone killer of that energy, but he's part of it. He has to, I think, kind of get better at stuff like this where he's going he's gonna to struggle. He has to take it as it comes, take a breath, go slower, learn and lean into what works and not try to solve everything once. Because when Kemba goes on a run like he did and the Hornets uh, you know, get, take leads like they do, it's not going to come in one basket. It's not going to come in one possession. It's possession after possession after possession strung together. A game of runs. It's a cliche, but it's true. He has to do that, get back in the game, and make it more competitive. That's how you do it. And he has to, he has to learn that. And you would hope that this, along with the other experiences he's had this year, will maybe teach him that. And Colin, again, in this game, you saw, I think, some of the limits on his vision right now. He just doesn't make reads beyond sort of the basic ones. The Cavs' offense isn't exactly maybe allowing him to um, have the type of looks where he has options, but he does really only make the basic pass closest to him or shoot the ball right now in offense. And that, I think, is impacting him as well and why he's taking a lot, still a lot of the same shots, and he's 5 of 15 in this game. So uh, in this game, Matthew Dallavadova did not play. Um, and I think the Cavs really missed him. He, you've seen him in, the, in his time back with the Cavs so far be someone who moves the ball. He plays on defense. He compliments the variety of guys they're having him play with. And he's making threes. And he's taking threes. They really just sort of need a guy like that who moves the ball, who doesn't kind of dominate or look to create his own shot over and over again. They need a guy like that around Sexton, around he makes Jetty's life easier. He makes Clarkson's life easier. I think he'll be back Friday is the expectation in Toronto, but they really, uh, you could see how much they missed him in this game. You could have used him on, you know, anyone from Jeremy Lamb to Kemba Walker. He would have fit in really well. And bigger picture, this is a game that also shows you why the Cavs miss Kevin Love. Um, you know, even in, Kevin Love could come in in the first half and play how the Cavs are playing it and contribute to that, right? But when things started really getting out of control, and the Cavs' offense lost shape and lost its focus. That's sort of a, a big way Kevin Love can come in and help you. He can come in and you can run sets around him. You can run a set on the elbow for him or, or Sexton's cutting around him and Osmond's cutting around him and um, you know maybe Rodney Hood flaring out for a three-pointer or Larry Nance is dropping to the rim or whatever. When you do not have Kevin Love to give you shape, it'll, it's a lot harder to to kind of get back in your flow. The Cavs have guys that are going to take over the offense, but it's just a very different thing when it's Jordan Clarkson and Alec Burks doing it and not Kevin Love. So they miss Delhi in in the short term. What we've seen the last couple of games, that small sample size of what he's brought, clearly missed him in this game. But bigger picture, they really, really miss Kevin Love. And I'm when whenever he comes back in 2019, I'm very curious to see how he impacts them. 
um, how much better he makes him, and Felice can give them some more structure and help Count Sexton and Jetty and all these guys that they need to get better in the years to come, some more structure and make them better as a result. So, as I mentioned, the ball did get sticky again in this game. It the, the first half was loaded with them having some really good ball movement, some really good energy, um, a lot of passing, a lot of creating open looks and, and pushing the pace. The second half, the game slows down for them. They are not moving the ball anymore, and you saw just how much worse the offense got. Um, don't I don't have the quarter-by-quarter quarter breakdowns just based on how I watched this game but of their points, but first quarter, 25 points. Second quarter, 21 points. They do get up to 29 in the third, but basically because they were just having to throw out more shots because Charlotte scored 41 in that quarter and then 24 in the fourth quarter for a total of 99. Um, in this game, an offensive rating of 104, which is good for them. At the same time, a 94.8 pace, that's pr- that's not exactly lighting the world on fire by any means. This is a Cavs team that um, has to find ways to maximize itself and moving the ball and, and making defenses work as a way to do it. When you give up on that and you rely on the spread pick and roll with Jordan Clarkson, your offense just isn't going to be as good. Um, and look, the, the Hornets also did crush the Cavs in two specific areas that make it really hard for you to compete. Uh, on the glass, Charlotte had a 51 to 35 advantage overall, a 13 to 4 offensive rebounding advantage as well. And that's just an area you cannot lose. You cannot really win games when you're getting kind of beat that way. Charlotte in this game on those 13 offensive rebounds uh, just was continuing to get shots that were um, easy. Like Michael K. Gilchrist in particular, with a guy with six offensive rebounds, just got layups after he got these, and that's just that's just free points for the other team. You can't give up when you're bad like the Cavs. And then in the paint, they're just getting looks on the break. They're getting looks on these offensive rebounds. An 18-point advantage, 60-42 to 42 for Charlotte over Cleveland on bucket score in the paint. That is just a, a huge gap. It is, you know, obviously more than the deficit the Cavs had. And if they just do a little bit better job defending the paint, uh, doing a better job, cleaning some of these mistakes up, this is a more competitive game. This is a game they could have won. And, you know, they missed Tristan. You know, they missed Deli, I think, kind of stopping those penetrations. Some of the botch coverage of Lamb and botch coverage of Kemba contributes to this, but um, some some troublesome defensive things there for the Cavs, and you saw that kind of contribute to, to the loss here. But uh, that's going to be it for the bad. Again, they, they lose this game by 11, 110, and 99. They're back in action Friday at 7 p.m. against the Toronto Raptors. We'll have a recap of that up, obviously, but we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about Larry Nance's passing and why I think it matters. So stay tuned for more Locked on Cavaliers. And lastly, Larry Nance Jr. So Larry Nance, um, I wrote about this. You can find the piece in the show notes. So his passing is what's making him different. This is my opinion on this. So he is part of the Cavs' future, right? So the moment he signs this extension in the summer, or in the fall, excuse me, he becomes part of their plan. But at 26... He is older than Sexton. He's older than Osman. He's older than whatever 19-year-old the Cavs take next June. But they are locking him up, and that means they're comfortable with what he is now. But they also have to hope he's going to grow. Now, he talked over the summer post-LeBron at Summer League about wanting to expand his game. It'd become, I think, more than the light version of Tristan Thompson that he's been so far in his career. Now, I think on surface level, I thought this and other people thought this, that meant taking three-pointers. That's something, if you go back to his days with the Lakers, he said he wanted to start trying to do this. And he's kind of doing that, right? So he's uh, still dribbling into some long twos on occasion. 
He's only taking one three per game as of Wednesday. That's probably going to drop now a little below one because if he didn't take one against the Hornets, the jury's still out on if he can actually shoot, and opposing defenses are fine letting him take threes. It's going to be a we're, – we're a long ways away, really, from knowing if this is real. But what I do think is real is that he's grown as a distributor, and I think it's also what makes him different than Thompson in a way that matters. This year, uh, going into Wednesday night's game, he's averaging three assists per game. He, he had seven again in this one, so that's probably going to go up a tad. That is more than double his best career per, per game average mark per day, per, according to the basketball reference. That's the best average among Cavs, aside from Kevin Love and aside from Delhi, who have only played a handful of games. So basically, in the non-guys who've played like four games category, he's, the, has the, he's leading the Cavs in assists. That's impressive. So three times since November 26th, and that's, again, not that long ago, like three weeks, he's tied his career high in assists with seven. That's now four times. On other three other occasions, Nance has had at least six assists in a game. He has a career-best assist percentage of 17.8%, according to Cleaning the Glass. By comparison, Thompson is only averaging 2.1 assists per game with an assist percentage of 10.5, according to Cleaning the Glass. And weirdly, Nance is doing this on the second lowest usage rate of his career, according to Basketball Reference. Somehow, playing with Clarkson and Sexton has resulted in Nance having a lower usage rate than he did last year with LeBron James. Now, I don't want to overhype what Nance is doing. Nance is not becoming a new Kevin Love, Minnesota-era Kevin Love. He is not. He does not have Nikola Jokic-esque awareness of where others player, where other players on the floor in terms of being able to find them and just know where they are without looking. But what you're seeing is a guy that can make the right pass. He he knows he has a good touch on his passes. He can make good cross court passes. In my post, you saw there's a there's a passed he threw to David Nwaba for a three where he read it correctly cross-court, delivered it a perfect cross-court pass from the opposite block to Nwaba on the other wing, and Nwaba sticks a three. This is against the Knicks. You're seeing him do a lot of his passes are coming really kind of on some actions where he is either setting a, he's setting a screen and kind of flipping the pass or, or doing a handoff to a player, so it's sort of basic reads. But he's also doing some stuff where he's pushing the ball up the floor. He's making the right read on the fast break that is creating easy looks and doesn't allow the defense to set. And this this is the big picture thing of why I think it matters. They need they need just help creating easy buckets. So Sexton's biggest weakness right now might be his floor vision. Clarkson's a black hole. Hood and Burks don't really create for others. Love is out. Delhi can help, but he's not going to be a, a lead guard. Osman's a good secondary creator, probably a third or fourth guy right now in his career. They need guys like Nance who are going to move the ball, who are going to create looks for others. And right now, as you've seen the last couple of games, they're sort of running the offense through Nance, and he's doing pretty well. The Cavs, this is not the solution, again, to a good offense. The Cavs are 26th in the league in half-court offense at 89.5 points per hundred possessions as of Wednesday, according to Clean of the Glass. In terms of ball movement, they're actually near the last in the league in every passing statistic, assist rate, assist per game, secondary assist. This is a team that doesn't move the ball well. They need a guy like Nance who is going to swing the ball around, um, help things kind of move and not stick, and, and help create open looks and make defenses work. It they, they need all the help they can get, and this is a thing that can help. Now, his role when Love and Thompson are back this season is remains to be determined. I think particularly with Love, I would love to see Larry Drew design some high-low action for Love and Nance together. 
Nance can help Kevin Love do some different things. Um, I, th- I think you know if Love is Love should be the hub of the offense, but if you're looking at one of them being used as a as a spacer, Love is much better to do that. And in in Love's absence, Nance has been used as a floor spacer in the corners. Teams don't respect it. Love as a spacer with Nance passing could be effective, and they could have some good high low action where maybe Nance is you know on the elbow and, and sets up Love with with some things kind of going on around it. There's creative ways you can make this work. I'm very curious to see if he can keep this up again when all these bigs are healthy, when his role get, goes back to more of what it was. But I do think this is real. I do think this is a meaningful improvement for him, um, and I and I think it's been really encouraging what he's looked like as a passer and and what it could mean for him. And I I think it's the best example we have that Larry Nance is growing, and I think it's it's an interesting way because it does make him different than Tristan Thompson, who he hasn't been better than this year. And maybe they're all part of the Cavs' future plans. It's too early to know that, but if this could be his niche to some degree, and that's a positive sign. So that is going to be it for today's show. We're going to be back tomorrow looking at Cavs-Raptors, looking um, as well at Bull Bull from Oregon. Uh, we didn't get to run that last week due to some technical errors, but Trevor Magnotti will be on talking about the Oregon Center in a potential Cavs lottery pick. Um, if you have questions, you want to answer it on a future Cavs mailbag podcast. You can submit them to Lockdown Cavs on Twitter. That's at Lockdown Cavs or to LockdownCavs at gmail.com. We'll also have a post up for that over at Reddit under our backslash Cleveland Cavs, the Cavs Reddit page. Um, a five-star review on iTunes, a Apple podcast, does guarantee your question gets answered. And if you're the sort, again, check out our game coverage, check out my piece on Larry Nance, and I'll have some a piece up on Jetty Osman as a slasher as well in the coming days. So thank you for listening. This has been Lockdown Cavaliers for Thursday, December 20th. I'm Chris Manning. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at CWMRights. We'll talk tomorrow. Thanks again for listening. Again, the Cavs lose, but um, some interesting things in it, and I think it's going to be shaped up to be an interesting kind of week as we get closer to Christmas. So thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow.